Are you frustrated with God? Sometimes the world seems so broken, it's hard to believe that a good God could possibly be in control. The book of Habakkuk is about learning to believe that God is good and powerful, even when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world around us. We need the lessons of Habakkuk always, but in an urgent and desperate way during difficult seasons. Ironically, this podcast series ended up being recorded just as the world was coming out of quarantine in the middle of 2020 when a worldwide pandemic was rocking the globe. Kind of fitting, don't you think? Dana Gresh invites you to learn how to talk to God when you are frustrated. My Nana was a great cook. She says the secret to her melt-in-your-mouth ham was marinating it in 7-Up. She made a lot of wonderful recipes, but the one we loved the most was her beef pot pie. It's not the kind of pot pie you're probably thinking of with the chicken and the peas and the carrots and the potatoes and the pie crust. No, because my Nana probably didn't have those things when she was learning to cook. Because she learned to cook during the Great Depression. And as most of the women learned, they could make a meal out of almost nothing. My Nana's beef pot pie was nothing more than a beef bone with some marrow, not any meat, and a few potatoes, a few eggs, some cups of flour. And my Nana would tell you, do not forget the salt and pepper. It's very important. And with just those few ingredients, she could make a meal for her family and her extended family for just a few dollars. There was something she never failed to serve with her beef pot pie, and that was a side of joy and laughter. Every time we gathered as a family, there would be so much laughter. My Nana could giggle like no one else. And so I never knew until I was an adult that that recipe had been born out of a time of fear and hardship. All I knew is that when Nana made pot pie, all of the cousins came, and we were joyful. My Nana never forgot that pot pie. She forgot a lot of things in her last few weeks and months of life, including my name. There's something really precious about a name, isn't there? I mean, it means so much when someone knows our name, and if you have a name like mine, it means something when they say it correctly. My name is Dana, pronounced like Hannah not Dana. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I identify with Habakkuk, because it seems no one knows how to say his name. You can hear it pronounced as many ways as you can think of. I actually looked it up and did a little research, and I think none of us are even close. I think a correct pronunciation might sound something like Habakkuk, which, don't ask me to say that again, because I won't. And so you can imagine in the last week of my Nana's life, when she didn't know my name, how grievous it was for me. Anyway, years before, she had asked me, when I die, I want you to make a pot of my pot pie, and I would shake it off. And now here we were, weeks away from it. I remember walking into the hospital room one day to visit with her, and she'd long forgotten my name. She said, hello, Cheryl, with the same joy she always had. And I had learned long ago not to correct her and tell her my name is Dana because it was very upsetting to her. And so I played the role of my cousin, talked about her husband and her job, 
But then, in a moment of grace, God lifted the veil of confusion. And my sweet grandmother, at the age of 96, looked at me. She held my hand, and she said, Dana, my name. Don't forget the pot pie. You promised you'd make a batch the day I go to heaven. And I did. The morning she died, I called my mom. I got my Nana's big blue pot pie bowl. I got my Nana's rolling pin. We gathered it all together. We called all the cousins, and we made that recipe one more time. And we laughed instead of mourned. We remembered the good times and the joyful moments. We celebrated her life. As I look through Scripture, I see a lot of women like my Nana who set the tone for their family to survive evil, difficult, fearful days by sprinkling them, flavoring them with faith. I think about the women who would have been cooking the Passover feast. How fearful would that have been, knowing the edict, knowing that the firstborn in every house is going to die and all of the other plagues had come to be? Why wouldn't this one? And they made the bitter herbs, and they, they made all of the things God instructed them to, including, as tradition tells us, matzo balls. I wonder if there was joy and laughter around that table. And then there's the Feast of Purim, still celebrated today by faithful Jews. And we don't have it recorded in the Bible like we do some of the menu items for Passover, but tradition tells us that a cookie that's called Hashmantashen came out of that festival, still enjoyed by faithful Jews today. These women set the tone. They set the table, not just for a feast, but for a family to walk in faith. And I want to be that kind of woman. And we find that kind of faith in the book of Habakkuk. In fact, the book of Habakkuk is kind of like those recipes. It was born out of evil times. It's been passed on like those recipes as a baton of truth and faith. And it's become more than just a tradition. It's actually become the backbone of the doctrine of the New Testament church. Now, you might think that's a pretty big claim, so today we'll unpack it, and I think you're going to actually agree with me. But I know this, that this book of the Bible, like those recipes, is a baton of faith, a baton of joy, a baton of hope, and we need to pass it on. We need to be women who set the tone in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our culture to walk in faith, even in difficult times. Now, Habakkuk is not an easy read. You are going to have to roll up your sleeves. I have to tell you, I think you're going to like Habakkuk. My friends who have also studied this book in depth say that they finish it with this sense of friendship. And I feel that way about Habakkuk. He seems like a familiar friend. I can identify with him. He's been through some of the same sorts of emotions and feelings and trials that I have been. He's had some of the same responses to God and to hardships that I have had. He's easy to identify with. But... I need to warn you, he's not all that easy to understand sometimes because he's very creative. He is a poet, and he does not speak to us in the pages of Habakkuk with prose, with subjects, verbs, and direct objects. And so we have to think a little harder. We have to pause and ponder the poetry. 
I had so much trouble with this when I first began studying that I had to call a college professor. I called a professor of Old Testament theology, and I said, I have a question for you. Why did Habakkuk have to write in poetry? I mean, it says right in his book that God told him to make the message plain and clear. So why did he use poetry? And he told me something very interesting. He said, God often communicates his best truths poetically. He went on to share with me how Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, some of the most important verses in those two chapters of the Bible are poetry. He reminded me that the celebration of the Exodus, poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, the book of Job, another book about living through difficult times, poetry. Most of the prophetic books are also poetry. Why would God do that? Because he has something very significant to say, and poetry doesn't allow us to skim over it. We have to slow down and look carefully. Here are a few things that I've learned as I've studied Habakkuk. I hope these are encouraging to you as you dive into the power of poetry in Scripture. The first thing is this. Poetry requires us to get face-to-face with God. It's very intimate. And if you don't slow down and look it in the eye, you'll not truly understand it. I had so many sweet moments where I felt a new intimacy with God as I was studying Habakkuk, and I hope that you will too. One particular time that stands out, I set an hour aside just to read Habakkuk and then sit in God's presence and see what He would speak to me. And do you know what? After the hour was over, I didn't want to leave that sweet place of intimacy. And I sat with the Lord that day for four hours watching woodpeckers at my feeder and talking to the Lord. I hope you'll experience intimacy with the Lord in the days to come. The second thing is poetry is pregnant with persuasion because poetry tends to be emotional. It tends to be persuasive, and that's a good thing. We want to be persuaded when we're reading God's Word. After all, it is God's Word. The other thing, it's beautiful. Some of the verses that we're going to come to in chapter 3 of Habakkuk will be very familiar to you. They're memorable because they're beautiful. The fourth thing, the extra work poetry requires results in eureka moments. To be truly present with the word, to understand it, you have to dig so deep. And when you get down into the truth of it, up to your elbows, you find a treasure that you didn't know was there, and you have this wonderful sense of reward and this great moment of eureka. I hope that you will experience that in the days to come. But finally, it helps us to remember. It helps us to remember. Poetry, because it is beautiful, because it is emotional, it helps that part of our brain that recalls things and remembers things, well, store it. And we have it there at the ready. I can't think of anything better for us to walk and live by faith than passages of Scripture at the ready in our brains. And we're going to need help remembering because when we walk through those difficult times, it is so easy to forget God. Let me tell you about a few people who say Habakkuk is a good read. The first one is God God himself said, this is an important book. He wanted it heralded. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3 reads, And the Lord answered me. This is answering Habakkuk when he says, Why, Lord? How long do I have to wait? Write the vision. 
Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In one version, in the NIV, it actually says, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. What was a herald? A herald was a person who would take an important message, and they would run to make sure that all of the people got that important message. God wants this message in the book of Habakkuk to be heralded. Habakkuk passed it on to us like a baton of faith, and it is our job to run with it now. Another person who thought this was a pretty important book of the Bible was the Apostle Paul. As I said, he used it in his writings. It, it became the backbone of the doctrine of the New Testament. And finally, let me say, other more contemporary people of faith felt this was important. Martin Luther was one of them. He used it to get through his questions about a very broken church. When he looked at the church, he saw a church that wasn't really living by faith, but by works. And one day, he was reading the book of Romans, and he came to a place where Habakkuk was quoted, where it said, the righteous shall live by his faith. And that phrase struck him in a way that it never had before. And Martin Luther was never the same. He realized these good works, they're nothing. The righteousness that's used to walk in faith is the righteousness of God. He realized he didn't have anything to contribute. And he reports that that was the day that he was born again. And not only that, but the church was reformed. And the church had another chance to walk by faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that church now has this baton of faith, the book of Habakkuk, in its hands. And we are responsible to pass that on, to herald this truth. The book of Habakkuk was written about 600 years before Jesus walked this earth. That would have been when Habakkuk lived in the land of Jerusalem. And during that time, things weren't looking so good. The people of God had forgotten him. There was a lot of evil and corruption, and there were difficult days. And Habakkuk, who was a man of great faithfulness, was troubled by all the sin that he saw in his culture. And so he began to write out his thoughts, a conversation with God, and that's what we see recorded in the book of Habakkuk. Let's begin by looking at Habakkuk 1, verses 2 and 3. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Why, O oh Lord, how long? Don't you see this? Aren't you doing something? When will you speak? Why are you so silent? I've written questions like those in my prayer journal. I've written them over personal pains and personal problems. I remember writing like that, lamenting, God, why don't you do something? When my husband and I, who were owners of a small business and 
loved sharing the gospel through our testimony in the community, but some decisions we'd made with our finances put us in a place where we were threatened by bankruptcy. Why, Lord, why? I remember when my husband was in a life-threatening accident, and I didn't really know for many hours how that would go, and then for days how quickly and to what extent he would heal. Why, Lord? Why did you allow this to happen? But I have never asked questions that were on the backdrop that Habakkuk was asking his, because his world was falling apart. I've never had to ask questions about my own personal problems without having the stability of a healthy economy, without having the promise of family members who would faithfully help me through hard things, without having a church that was able to congregate and meet and help me in practical ways. Habakkuk didn't have those things. His world wasn't stable. He didn't have an easy life like I have with a few bumps and bruises. His world was falling apart completely. I've never lived at a time like that until, as we're taping this, we are emerging from having sheltered at home for many months. Can you imagine that it would be months until we got to come out of our houses? Why? Because there was a global pandemic, COVID-19, that was taking the life of so many people across the world. And on top of that, as a result of that, economies all around the globe crashed. And then, just as we began to think, maybe it's going to get back to normal, maybe things will stabilize, our world was suddenly embroiled in a difficult and painful conversation about the sin of racism. I'm starting to understand a little bit just how Habakkuk felt when he asked his questions. But I'm here to tell you that he's a man who's walked through difficult times before us, and he's done it with faith. And his book gives us two really practical treasures. The first one is this. It teaches us how to talk to God during evil times. I don't know about you, but there are times when life seems so complicated and so painful that I'm just not quite sure how to talk to God. What can I say to him? What should I hold back? Can I tell him everything that I'm thinking? Can I throw my accusations? Can, is it okay to be frustrated with God? Habakkuk is an Akkadian name. It means wrestler or embracer. And as you've just seen in the verses we read and in the verses we'll study in the days to come, Habakkuk wrestled with God. He brought his questions. He brought his doubts. He teaches us how to do that. He writes a permission slip for us to do that in our own lives. And the second thing that Habakkuk does is he offers us six habits of walking by faith in evil times. And here's where I think we find the backbone of the New Testament. The thesis of Habakkuk shows up in the New Testament three times, in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, and in the book of Hebrews. And it also has veiled references throughout the New Testament. This thesis I'm about to read to you really is a very important truth on the pages of Scripture. Let me read Habakkuk 2.4 for you. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you heard that a time or two? My friend Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth says, this is one of the most important verses in all of God's Word. 
The righteous will live by his faith. This verse is like a diamond against the sooty backdrop of man's corruption and God's judgment. We find such comfort in those words, don't we? That we can walk by and live by faith. What a freeing thing that we can do it. But we also find marching orders in them. We must walk by and live by faith. Now, it's interesting that we're so familiar with that second part of the verse, but if that second part of the verse is important, isn't the first part of the verse important also? So let's land on that one for just a second. The first part says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. Now, specifically, this verse is referring to the Chaldeans a very small and insignificant people group in the region where Habakkuk lives. And we will see that they are going to become very powerful and that they are going to actually march God's people off into captivity and they will become exiles. These people are proud. These people are puffed up. These people are mean. But I also think that when we look at the contrast of someone who is prideful and someone who walks by faith, that God's also inviting us to consider. Are we prideful? Are we puffed up? Are we reactive? Are we mean? We're gonna take some time to examine our own hearts. The second part of that verse says that a righteous person lives by faith. Those who are righteous, as God views righteousness, don't think that they themselves have brought anything to the table. They recognize that it is the righteousness of God that calls them to rise up and to live and to act in faith. We need to do that right here, right now. Walk through it in faith. This message was taped in the Revive Our Hearts studios. If you enjoyed it and want to dig in deeper, grab a copy of the Bible study entitled Habakkuk, Remembering God's Faithfulness When He Seems Silent by Dana Gresh. This is the first podcast that supports the study experience leading into a week where you'll take a rigorous inventory to learn if you're walking by faith or by fear. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries in partnership with Revive Our Hearts and Moody Publishers. 